Um, sweet. Can you guys believe you guys have four weeks left of school? I have like four weeks till I have a kid. It's even crazier. I was talking to someone today. They're like, four weeks is nothing. And then I was like, I was like, two and a half years and you're out of college and then you just work all day. And then you look forward to like going out to eat Friday night because you're like, I don't got to work anymore. Um, but so, that's how it goes. Sweet. Super excited for tonight. Um, for you that are new or have never been here before, welcome, especially the big group from LA. Um, they're really cool. The, the older guy, I won't call you old, Tom. Um, Tom is the guy who originally planted Mountain View 30 years from this last Sunday, or actually or this upcoming Sunday. The 12th. The 12th, whatever that was. Like a few days ago. Yesterday. So 30 years from yesterday, Mountain View was planted, and Tom, was the, Tom and his wife um, faithfully came and planted Mountain View. So it's super cool that they're here um, during this week, and super cool that they're bringing some college students from where they are now at in L.A. serving the Lord. So um, for everyone else, this is your first time. Super welcome. We're glad you guys are here. Um, and then for everyone else, good to see you. Um, tonight, we are continuing on in First Peter. Um, just to give a rundown of where we are at <clears throat> Last week um, in First Peter, we tackled a really hard conversation, or a really hard topic about the idea of submission and laying our life down. Um, and what Peter kind of did is he he gives this kind of big big idea and then kind of plays it out. Um, and, the, and that big idea is found in First Peter chapter two, verse twelve. And so um, I think that's just the same lens that we're that he's like teaching at from tonight. So in First Peter chapter two, verse twelve, it says, "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles." non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. So like I said, I, I think Peter is continuing on from chapter two. He laid out this idea of submission under authority, respecting authority, um, the roles inside of a marriage, but ultimately it points to Christ who came and laid down his life for us in this relationship with the Father. Um, and so through that lens tonight, um, I want to, this is my main point, that we as God's people, should do good even in suffering. And we're going to find that in our passages or our verses tonight. So to start here, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, it says this. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So kind of what, what Peter's doing here is like what I said. So in chapter two, he wrote, wrote and says, finally, he's kind of ending this big thought here. Um, he's like, finally, I want to lay out to you this idea of what I am calling you to, to have good conduct, to good deeds amongst Gentiles. And he kind of gives this list. He lays it out. Um, and his aim is, to, is like pointing them like for the believers here to understand what he's talking about. Kind of think of it like this. Um, when me and my wife first got married, um, the way that we cleaned our house was this. She'd go, hey, Andrew, we need to clean the house today. And i go, I don't see why, but I guess we're doing it. So what would happen is we'd start cleaning. I'd just pretty much like follow her around and clean what she needs. And then there's this point where I'm like, I think the house is pretty clean. So I'd walk to the couch and I'd put on football. And I'd be watching football. And then for like the next two hours, she's still cleaning. And I'm looking at her like, Huh. I really, I really think I should ask the help, but man, this is a good game. Uh, so that was like the constant thing, weekend. It was always on a Saturday. She'd ask and ask and ask. And I get to this point, like this one day, she kind of like blew up and was like, Andrew, why aren't you helping me clean? And I was like, what are you talking about? I clean the toilets. I clean the shower. I sit on the couch. 
it's kind of the, the way it goes. And she's like, no, when I say, when I'm like, when I'm asking you to clean the house, like, I want this, 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 like this long list of things to get done. And I'm like, oh, I'm really dumb. Um, and so eventually what happened is instead of just saying, hey, we need to clean the house, she now makes me this really nice notepad, writes out everything I need, puts it on it. She usually has like things around it so it catches my attention. So I come home and I go, that's what I need to clean today. Um, because the thing is, is cleaning the house for me and her are two different things. And that's what Paul, or Peter's trying to do here is this idea that he's like, so not just to call them to good deeds, hey, do good things, do good in the world, but this is how it looks like where you are at. And I think one of the things that he really is pushing here, and something we don't talk a lot about in the church, is that Christians should be marked and known for their good deeds. We should be known as people who do good, and that's what he's pushing these people to. He's like, hey, be known by these things. What I love about Peter is just like last week, as we kind of talked about, is he kind of like threw the bomb on them, dropped the mic on them with like, hey guys, I want you to honor the emperor. That's what we're known for, to honor those above us. And for us, like what we talked about last week is they're under this emperor who is King Nero, and what they know about him is he hates them. He's killed a ton of them in Rome. There's this crazy thing going on. He's like, hey, honor them. Make sure that you honor those above you. And it just didn't make sense. And he kind of does the same thing here. Right at the end of these verses, he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. That just sounds crazy to these people. Like, just think, like we've talked about, and I'm going to keep pushing because it's a big point of Peter's. Like, they are exiles in a country that is not their own. They are hated. They are not wanted. And Peter's like, hey, when they do evil to you, don't do it back. When they criticize you, don't criticize them back. But instead, bless them. Do good to them. Right? That is just, does it make sense for them? But I, what I also love about Peter here is he doesn't just call them to do something. He gives them reasons and encouragements inside of that. And that's what I want to do with our time here. I want, I want us to remember as we go that we are called as Christians to be marked by good deeds. But like I said, we are called to do good even when we suffer and even when people do harm to us, even when people criticize us. And so I want to give you these three encouragements that I think Peter lays out, and we'll end our time with that, is this. This is the first one that we see is like, God is our protection. Going on to the next verses, it says in verses 10 to 16, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness', righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So Peter says this big statement, do good, even when these things happen. And then the first thing he does is he quotes a psalm. Now for some of you guys that don't know what that is, psalm the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a book of songs um, that were written. Uh, many of them were written by King David. Um, and the one that he is quoting is actually Psalm 34, which is written by King David. And many of the Psalms that this king, who's the, who was like a king over Israel, over God's people um, back before, like way before this time, um, is about life circumstances. Peter, or Paul, or sorry, King David would go through something and he'd write a psalm. So, what the story here is in Psalm 34 is David is just coming out of meeting with King Abimelech, which if you were to go back is in Psalm 
for Psalm 21. And I want to talk about it because I think it's really important to kind of what Peter's getting to. So what's happening in 1 Samuel 21, King David, this king, he goes to this foreign country to King Abimelech. Now, King David is on the run from the current king over Israel, King Saul. King Saul is aiming to kill David. He wants him gone. He wants him out, mostly because God had come in and told Saul, you are no longer fit to be the king, and David is now will be the king after you. So Saul, in his anger, is trying to kill David, trying to remove him from the throne. And so David runs to this foreign country to King Abimelech. And it's kind of in the story, David's starting to get this vibe that he's like, man, this is not really good. Something of harm is going to come to me. It's actually a really weird story if you read it. It says that David decided to play insane. So he started scratching the doors and letting drool fall from his mouth. And like, okay, I read this and I was like, what the heck? Like, this dude, like I don't get like. I mean, if that happened here, I'd be like, yo, I'm leaving, not you. See you later. Um, but like King Abimelech blows up. He's like, yo, get this guy out of here. I don't want this guy around. Who did you bring here to me? And David was released and no harm was done to him. Now, when you hear that story, you think of like, oh, David's just really smart. He got out of a situation. But if you go to Psalm 34, which is what he writes, this song, right after all this happens, he says, now taste and see that the Lord is good. God is my refuge. God is my protection. God is the one who, who has saved me. David is pointing to that God is the protection and his refuge. Right? And so we come back to tonight's text where Peter is writing. And we understand, like, oh, when he talks about doing good and there's harm, that God is our protection and our refuge. And what's really interesting about David is it kind of fits really well. It's like David was going to be harmed for doing good. And that doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know all the context, but David running away from Saul to not die was actually doing well of Saul. Because here's the truth. David was known for his ability to fight, right? There's this saying, so David has killed his, his ten thousands while Saul's only killed his thousands. David at any time could have killed Saul if he wanted to. There was one story that's actually really crazy. Saul went to use the restroom in this cave that David and his men were hiding, and David comes up and cuts a piece of his, his robe and pulls it away, and Saul walks out, and David goes, hey, Saul, I could have killed you. David was running because he knew his the plan for him was not to kill Saul, so he kept away and he kept doing Saul good. He's like, I'm going to let God handle this and not take it into my own hand. He was doing good, and this king wanted to do him harm, and God protected him. That's what Peter's pointing to here. He's pointing to the fact that even when we choose to do good, and those that will do harm to us, God will protect us. Now, that doesn't always mean that you're going to get out like, without any bumps or bruises or hardships, but it ultimately means that you do not need to fear man. Right? In verse 14 that we just read here, it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't fear what man can do to you when you have a God who created all things here protecting you. Continue to do good even when people. And it's this reversal that is happening. It's this thing that rather than trying to retaliate and do, we trust in the Lord and we do good to them. Right? And, and it's, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people, right? When someone hurts me, when someone does wrong to me, my first response is, how do I do something back? How do I do something in return? Right? I, there was a time when I was in high school. Um, does anyone here use Twitter? 
God, this is my, yeah. There's like one. I'm like, man. I, um, so Twitter was like Instagram, Snapchat when I was in high school, um, which I know like some of you guys love Instagram, some of you guys know, love Snapchat. But Twitter was this huge thing. Um, so when I was in high school one day, um, I was watching SportsCenter, which you don't know what SportsCenter is. It's a show about sports. Sports Center. Um, and I was watching one day, and there's this famous football player that was talking. Um, he had won a Super Bowl. He was really good, which is like the big championship. Um, and he like says some comment. The rest of the staff or like people on, are just like roasting him on there. So me being a high school, I'm like, I'm going to be really cool. I pull out my phone, and I tweet at this guy, saying like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You're dumb, like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. I'm like this little farm kid in middle of nowhere, Texas, like, whatever, and I, I, 10 minutes later, I pull up my phone, and there's a tweet, there's a retweet, uh, which is like a response, and I open it up, and it's this professional football player, added me, and just went at me, and I was like, cool, so then what do I do? I go right back at him, and I say something more, because the thing in our, like, the thing about our culture, the thing we live in is, like, when someone says something to me, you know I'm popping off right back at them, like, it's just how it goes, and you understand that really, really well. I, like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for us when we say, like, we don't fight our own battles. We don't need to. So when someone criticizes me, I don't need to criticize them back. I can bless them. I can do good to them. When someone decides to do evil to me, my response shouldn't be, how do I do this back? It's, man, how can I bless you? That doesn't make sense. But that's what Peter's doing here. The, he's saying, have good conduct among the Gentiles. Do good. It's the mark. And even if someone does you wrong, trust in the Lord. Right? He, he, he even makes this more known. In, if you go further up from 14, verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, for his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Trust in the Lord, because he's our protection. So do good. If suffering comes, if people do you wrong, if people do you evil, trust that God has you. The second thing is this, is like our suffering opens the door for the gospel. In 1 Peter 13, 15 through 17, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Right? Like I said, if your response is to bless someone when they do you wrong or evil, people question it. Right? Like, I, I always, I've had this internal, like, internal struggle sometimes of being like, if you do good, people question. Like, I, I don't always see that, but I really do see that when people do wrong to me. And I will say this, when I have, when someone's done wrong to me, and the very few times that I've decided not to try to do something back, um, people question it people go, well, why don't you do it back? Why don't you say something back? Because the thing is, is it doesn't make sense. Like I said, as we talked about, like my analogy with like this dude that roasted me on Twitter, like the, 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 we should want to say something back, but when you don't, people question it. And what Peter's saying here is if these people in this context are pretty much trying to kill you, they want you to like have a horrible life, bless them. What most likely is going to happen is other people are going to ask, but Why? Peter says, be ready to give a response for the hope that you have. The gentleness and respect and a good conscience. Our, 
deciding to bless rather than do anything else, it opens the door. I think Paul says it really well and sums up this point. Um, Philippians 1, um, verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So there I come and see you are absent. I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith for the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Does your life point to something? Does your life point to someone? So the first thing is, is even in our suffering, be encouraged. Continue to do good because God is our protection. Because it opens the door for the gospel. And the last thing that we see is this, is, is that it is an example we have in Jesus. To continue on in verses 18 through 20, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. I mean, Peter did this in the last text before us that we read last week. Peter points to Jesus. Peter isn't asking us to do something that Jesus has not done. Jesus suffered for doing good, right? Jesus was the perfect man. All of us, we could sit here and say, like, I shouldn't suffer. Jesus, far greater. He only did good. And what happened to him in return? He suffered. He was nailed to a cross. And this was all for a point. In Mark 2, it says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came and his plan and his goal was to save the lost, to save sinners. And even in all his good, he suffered. He lived this perfect life. He had every right to be able to get frustrated at people that did evil towards him because he didn't deserve it. All the criticism towards him was wrong. Jesus pointing... Peter is pointing back at Jesus saying, look at him. He was the silent lamb that came and died on a cross so that we now can have hope. And Peter even says it. He's like, um, he says he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. And he says right before that, to bring you to God. Jesus' goal was to suffer so much so that you can be brought to the Father. You now have a hope, right? And he even expounds on this in this super weird way that I spent like five hours trying to figure out. He brings up Noah, like, if you read this and you're like, what the heck's going on? Um, like, this idea of Noah, if you don't know about Noah, Noah is, the, the story of Noah, he was a man, is in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And it's a story of God coming to Noah and saying, Noah, builds an ark, which is a really, really big boat. And so Noah starts building this ark, and people are mocking him, making fun of him, that he's building this ark. But what was the point of the ark? Well, God ended up flooding the earth, destroying all things. And the only people left were Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. Right? Peter is pointing to the story because it's saying this. Noah was to build an ark to be saved from the coming judgment. Jesus came to save us from the coming judgment that we all deserve. Do we, under, do we like, are we okay with doing good to the people that do us evil? Are we okay with not having to criticize back because Jesus 
because what he did, because he was the perfect sacrifice, because he was the perfect example. Peter tells us these things. Do good, because it's what we're called to do. And if you were slandered, if you were done wrong to, trust that God's protecting you, and he's bigger. Trust that what you're doing is going to be a door for the gospel to be shared. And trust that we have an example who did it first. And he did it because he loved us. Right? Then Peter brings up this really interesting part of baptism. He says in 21 through 22, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Right? Reading this really quickly can be really easy to think like baptism saves you and that's not what he's pointing to. Um, what he's saying is this, is like, out of all these things, out of Jesus dying, out of just like the image of Noah, he's like, baptism is a reflection of what Jesus did. Baptism is what we do as Christians when we've confessed Christ. We go before the church as a declaration that I was, my old is gone and the new is here. Right? It says in 1 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Peter is saying this action of baptism, pointing the believers here that they should, this is something they should partake in, that it's a reflection to all the things that Peter has said up to this point. And it, it, it like comes in here kind of awkwardly um, at the end, but I think it's really important to know for us that baptism doesn't save us, but we should partake in it because it's a reflection of what Jesus did on the cross, to die, be raised again, to ascend to the Father, and now give us hope. Because we have been made new, let us go do good. And if we suffer, let us not do to them as they have done to us. Let us find joy in God being our protection. That there is an opening for the gospel. That we have a savior who calls us to something he did. He went and did. So you may ask the question like, Andrew, what does this look like in my life? What, is, what does it mean to do good amidst all these things? To be known for these things? Um, the first thing is this, if you've never believed and surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask you every week. I'd ask you to consider that you have a Savior who loved and died for you and was willing to suffer for all the good he did because he cares. Would you surrender your life to him? The second is this, if you've placed your, your trust in the Lord, my first question to you is this, are you known by your good deeds? Do people around you know you for doing good? reflecting the, the Savior who did good, do we do the same? Do our friends know us by that? Do our teachers, do our classmates, do the people that we know, do our enemies? Are we known for doing good? And the second question I have is this. Do you truly believe that if you were to do good and suffer, that God is really protecting you? Do you really believe that there's an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed and will you step into it? And finally, do you believe that the example of Jesus drives you to continue on to love and care and lay down your life as he did for us? This is the good conduct Peter is calling us to. Not just being and doing 
Exactly what he said. To have sympathy, brotherly love, care. You're willing to step into people's worlds. You're willing to feel their pain and be with them in their pain. Sit with them in their pain. To think of others more than yourself. This is what Peter's calling to in these last two weeks. Are we living what Peter is calling us to do? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight. Um, I thank you for your word, that though um, it challenges us and um, though sometimes it really rubs against our wants and our longings and our desires, Father, ultimately we realize that you were the perfect example, that you died and you rose again and you ascended to heaven for us. So Lord, I pray as we go that we would have our lives would be marked by good conduct, not so that we can just be good, but so that we can point to the God who is good and saved us. Lord, I just pray and ask that you would move and you'd work into us and you would convict any parts of us that don't do this. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen.